Johnny, what's up, man? All good, my man. <laughs> okay, we're going to have to try and get through this without laughing too much, yeah? Yeah, I'm, that'll be a struggle. I know. <laughs> it's that way, like, you see when I got off the train coming to London and I know you're waiting for me, I'm laughing before I even clock eyes on you. <laughs> I do the exact same thing. and I don't know how to react. In my head, I'm always thinking, hey, what joke can I say? And I start trying to remember the previous trip that you had or the previous part of it we were saying, and I can't remember it, so I just end up laughing the entire way. Why are we like this? Why are we like this? <laughs> so... It's what week six, I think. Are we going into week seven or week six? Um, I am now in week eight. Week eight, right. So how, how are you coping with all this? Obviously, you are self-employed like myself, work a lot, yeah. and you've went from doing, you know, working all the time to working, not working for eight weeks. I know. Because you were quarantining before lockdown, weren't you? Yeah, it's, it's really strange, actually, because at the beginning... The way I saw it is because when I was on my paternity leave, that was six weeks. So being out of tattooing or just any physical work, I used to always be like, um, at the beginning of quarantine, I was like, oh, I can, it'll be easy because it won't be any crazier than when you weren't tattooing for the six weeks of paternity leave. But obviously now I've surpassed the six weeks, I've now been like, I wonder if I'll even be able to tattoo again. Like actually, like <laughs> the technical points of it, will I be able to actually do what I had done before to the same standard sort of thing? But I think I'm just trying to forget completely. Just, just forget about tattooing. So when I come to it, hopefully it just comes natural again instead of overthinking. Aye, we could, to be fair, we could probably do a full podcast <laughs> just talking about this lockdown and impact oh. it's having and stuff, man. But, uh, but you know, in terms of impact what kind of impact is this having on you as a person what you mean sort of mentally or i just like how you know everybody's obviously coping different so how are you coping with it in terms of you know day-to-day and mental health and stuff yeah i mean it's it's tricky actually i think during the day it's fine because i've got river and tony we keep each other company and there's so much to do around the house and stuff i think it's when it comes to night where i become a bit anxious sort of when the, the night falls because normally that sort of represents everybody settling down and there's less people out and there's sort of less access to stuff that might help you or what you think can help you so when it comes to night I sometimes overthink thinking there's even less people in the streets as there would be during the day during the quarantine so again it's the overthinking stuff that sort of is a struggle but I yeah. feel like keeping myself busy and keeping myself talking to people i.e. yourself in Mackey, like when we're playing the games and sort of try to keep ourselves busy, that cuts out that sort of random sort of limbo period of the evening around 9pm where you're not really uh, tired yet. Do you know I'm what I mean? A, I'm actually pro- the opposite f- from you. Like it's during the day where I'm struggling because I've, I've not got anyone, you know, and mm. you know, people like you are busy with <clears> your family and stuff and Mackey's working and all the rest of it. Whereas nighttime is when we get on the PS and yeah. get on and we chat for like three hours. So that, that's like when I'm actually okay. It's more fucking during the day that I struggle, man. But I guess uh, when you've got a kid that <laughs> changes Aye. everything. I mean, he, guy, he, he keeps me busy for sure. And it's actually really good because all the stuff that we do is all quite fun. And before all this happened in a weird way, like I used to always say, I just want to have some quality time where 
I don't feel guilty for not working whilst I'm enjoying spending time with my son. Yeah, for sure. And obviously now that this has came about, it's actually like a blessing in, dis- <clears throat> in disguise. But obviously mentally it's it's taking its toll. I think on the outside, everybody always sees me. They're always like, oh, you seem to be doing really well with it and it doesn't seem to bother you. But obviously that's the common thing, isn't it? Uh, we are, yeah, with it. everybody. With ev- yeah, with everyone, there's obviously going to be issues. With us in particular, more so you than me, because I can work online. Is obviously there's financial impacts, mm. and you know you've got a you've you know you've been you've got a house that you've been renovating, and you know you're used to a certain income and lifestyle mm. that you know these things are obviously going to be worrying. <clears> but you know, hopefully we're you know we'll be back at it soon. How do you see yeah. how do you see the future of your of tattooing man do you think it's just going to go back to normal do you think it's going to be totally different it's tricky isn't it because it's, it's the, the problem with tattoos is almost it's like a luxury product you're selling so it's certainly not a necessity yeah. and i feel like when the, the the doors open so to speak it's going to be one of them things where it depends on how the general public prioritize getting tattooed it depends how um booked up you are for everyone and it will be definitely slow regardless even if you are booked up and you have those clients there you then have to rely on everything in their life coming together so they they have that income sat there to put towards something like a tattoo because it isn't a priority and it shouldn't be Um, so hopefully it will just sort of just like most sort of industries and well self-employed people it's like you rely on a certain customer base and but it's all understandable. Like cancellations will come and rescheduling is just a part of it. So I'm just fingers crossed. And at least it's one of those things, as much as you think you're alone in what you do and this whole thing that's happening, literally almost however many billion people in the world are actually going through it, you know, everybody. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, okay, enough depressing lockdown chat, man. <laughs> <laughs> let's, uh, let's start yeah. off with you talking about your, your little son, uh, how best, how how is he? He's uh, how old is he now, man? Like almost he's, two. Well, he's buffed. He's in August, so he's almost two. August that the seventeenth. Um, yeah, no, I can't believe it because I sort of consider well, obviously as the beginning, but when Tony became pregnant, that's when I think back to almost when he was born, even though he wasn't born then. But I think of him being so just under two, but also add nine months because. As a parent, that's when you're mentally trying to get into it. You're like, yeah, oh my yeah. God, I'm becoming a, a dad. So it's like almost two years, but then the plus the nine months before that. That's crazy, yeah. man. <laughs> he's the best. He's the best little bean in the world. He just, he just, he's just, uh, it's the craziest thing because we have our own routines of who does what sort of thing. And yeah, yeah. as I'm lying in bed, he'll always come in and see me every morning. It's like the best. What, what age are you now? 28? Uh, 29 in a couple of weeks. So, yeah, so I hope you remember that, Bufty. Of course, eh? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so obviously when you had River, when you you know knew River was coming, you'd have been 26, 27, which is quite I young think, these days, man. I think, yeah, like, definitely. You know, it's people... weird, though, because when you consider us growing up, I mean, obviously you get it in sort of smaller places, um, sort of people marrying people from school and, I guess, marrying young and then having kids young. But I guess in our generation, it's becoming later and later. But um, yeah, yeah definitely. Sure. It would, nowadays, it's considered very young, isn't it? Around 26. That's I think so I was 26 when I got married. And then I think I was 27 just when River was born. Yeah. yeah. Cool, man. So like, how has fatherhood like changed your life, man? How has it impacted <laughs> your life? Crazy. 
it, on, it's, it's a strange thing, man. It's, it's not even putting it into words. I will try my best, but it's just like you. I mean, it's everybody knows it's one of those things. Like it's not, it will never be the same, and you're now not the most important person in your life anymore. And even though when you're married to somebody, and like you love them so much, they're still their own person. Yeah, so sure. you're you're not like biologically connected to them as much as they are the most important person, but because you used to then create this extra being that is literally, it's got your blood, your genes of both of you in it. Just, it's just the craziest thing to, sometimes you think just try and overlook that thing that might have upset them or like yeah, yeah. Uh, done that. But then just there's something in your blood that or whatever that just doesn't allow it and you get so upset for them or so protective over that baby that you wouldn't I guess normally whether it be even just like, even a member of your own family like as much as you love them unconditionally like babies are just this weird thing that you didn't even realize you had it in you it just becomes this crazy extension of you and your partner and you just love it to it actually hurts you just want to like if <laughs> anything if anything bothers that child I swear to god it's like even if it's like a little minor scratch, if they went to soft play, you're you're walking about soft play like bloody the men in black, ready to like, <laughs> like literally, literally like ready to like just I don't who hurt my son? <laughs> I, honestly, I would walk about that soft play like a bouncer, just pure growling at other kids, just making sure they don't come near them too much, or try to, even though they're just kids being kids and just wanting to play. I, you're saw, just so overprotective. I saw Tony post on Instagram a ago. She was going to go to nursery and batter another kid because <laughs> <laughs> because because he, he hit River or something. Then I'm like, is that what, right. is this what it does? It turns you into a child beater. It, it, just, it just makes you like. Um, I know, I know what you mean, man. It's just a crazy, it's just such a weird thing you didn't know existed. Yeah. But also as well, right, you know, all, all a lot of people will say is how amazing it is and it's the best thing ever mm. stuff. However, there's ob- it's obviously going to be, it's obviously going to make your life really fucking difficult sometimes. Yeah. You know, and, you know, and uh, adapting to uh, to being that, having that responsibility and stuff. But also for you, I think something that you should maybe touch on is how it's really difficult that, you know, not right now because we're in lockdown, but you are at work every day as the child yeah. is kind of, especially when he was a baby and he's, you know, sleeping a lot. Yeah. It must have been hard going to work and coming home and he's asleep and, you know, that's, and I think obviously a lot of people won't, won't talk about that side of stuff, but yeah. I think must, that must be hard as well. I mean, yes, man, honestly, it is brutal those times because I think at the very beginning, um, especially if you're lucky enough to have a long enough paternity leave or whatever it is. Um, I was lucky I took six weeks off because I'm self-employed, but obviously you don't get one bit of income throughout that. So it's yeah. however you manage to prep for it. But uh, so, and cause the way I work is so like intense that it doesn't really leave any other time of the day for anything other than tattooing. So my days off, I try and keep strictly days off. Um, and then working days are so fast-paced. But yeah, man, it's brutal. Like, it's, it's not easy. Like, your mental health takes a kick in the teeth. And it's like, you just, luckily, with babies, it's so fast-paced and um, that you don't have time to stop and worry about maybe the stuff that you worried about or get anxious over. I mean, the worries are greater, but because the rewards you get from being with the kid, it's sort of takes over a bit that um it's okay but yeah as they get older you you beat yourself up so much because as you go to work 
as much as you love work, you know it's not more important than spending time with your family and your yeah. kid. So it's like you start thinking like, you know, if I have a cancellation and it's 4 p.m., do I get the train home earlier or try and fill that spot just to, you know, make money and just yeah. keep that going? Because obviously you can do it so much. You can be like, and several times I have, I'll be like, oh, I'll just go home early and surprise Tony and River and just have a bit of more of an evening. But for me, that's a big mental challenge because I don't like, I can't physically and mentally get on rush hour uh, trains and traffic and stuff like that. It beats me up so much that it almost impacts my mental health. When By the time I get home, I'm not the sort of same person I would have been energy-wise because I'm so beaten up by the the stress that I put on myself yeah, trying yeah. to get home, say at 5 p.m. Because obviously, I guess, for the people who are listening, it would be... I start work at 12 and I finish at 7. So obviously when I'm coming into work, I'm getting an 11 a.m. train, which is dead, you know. And when I get home at a normal time, it's almost 8 o'clock trains. So again, pretty much dead. So it's a, that is a big help in what I do. Uh, but yeah, it, uh, it's, it's, it's so much like uh, what choices should you make and what's more important. But at the same time, you know, everybody has to work and it's a struggle because obviously the roles that, the two people may take in our case obviously um I had more flexibility with work so I decided to go back to work sooner than Tony but obviously the pros and cons of both are just so there's so many points isn't there like I mean it's just too much to even go into but yeah, course, spending yeah. time with your baby or making money for the family to, to do both things you know both people would much rather a bit of both or a bit more of the thing they're not doing so yeah, emotionally, there's you tell yourself you're not good enough. You you tell yourself you could be better. Like if there's a moment you literally want to sit down and say check your phone, your mind's saying don't check your phone. Your 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 kids sat there reading a book sort of thing. But then then you should also promote independent play with themselves and also have some time to yourself because everybody knows as silly as it may sound, sitting on Instagram for ten minutes, you do get some escape and joy out of that that you sort of need or if you want to play the playstation that you've got to make time for every little bit in order for your energy levels to go in to stuff like your family like if you're not taking any you time then you're just going to run yourself into the ground oh for sure for sure man i think that's where you know and obviously i'm single and not even in a relationship so think thinking about babies ain't even part of my <laughs> part of my scope right now but you know that's where obviously uh, i am obviously in my head always back and forth of should i should i not have kids because i've got so much personal goals that i you know that i still want to hit in my life i'm like would it be selfish mm. would it be too selfish to have a kid when yeah you know uh, or would i even be happy if i had a kid if i couldn't do all those things man so yeah it's just probably just as well i'm not in a relationship <laughs> but i guess you the difference is i guess what you do because you are very much like me we have all the same sort of um I guess what we want from life and we're quite emotional people and we've got so much sort of, not to sound corny, but love to give in that sense. And we want to have all the sort of family parts and, you know, and we've got the same sort of upbringing, but what you do is such a physical thing that what you are preaching, so to speak, 
takes so much practice and yeah. the balance is just it's more about instead of balancing everything at one time with what you do which obviously with tattooing I've still got enough time to do x y and z say um but so I can maybe find the balance for both but yeah I guess what you do you just have to you pick the stages of what of what you do and when you know so even though you know you'll have it at some point it's about prioritizing what to do now middle end sort of you know yeah for sure man because you've got so many goals that physically you have to train for and put your mental energy into, which is, it's, man, it's all, know, it's all relevant. Who knows? Who knows, man? Who you know, knows? People like, <laughs> people like Rod Stewart are still pumping out veins when he's like 70, <laughs> man, so you never know. He, oh, he's, he's, a, he's an enigma, <laughs> man. He's a rabbit. Right, so uh, obviously we're doing this podcast because we are, yep. best, ba- we are best pals. And, uh, yes. uh, you know, we, we go way back, let's just say. Um, so let's go back. Let's go back in time. As oh well. God, <laughs> that is not uh, wise. You know, let's go back to where we, when we met, man. So yep. my memory of it, because we met through <laughs> me, <laughs> uh, we met through your brother, who I met not even that long before I met you, mm. um, through being out being pushed basically and getting talking to him and he was mm-hmm. in a band I was in a band and we ended up being in the same band uh, yep. and we were like me and Andy were became best friends and we were like drinking buddies and stuff like that and then the band and then one day I decided to go through to uh, Greenock with him <laughs> uh, for, a, for a night out and I walk into his house and there's this wee guy sitting uh, <laughs> on, his, on his computer desk uh, playing imaginary drums or something and it was and it was you uh, and I think that's just how we started being mates isn't it you know through you, well, just, you just started hanging about was didn't you I think because um, let's I just mean, say I would have been also, 18, I would have been 18 at that point you would have been 14 uh, no 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 15, 15 going 15. Uh, yeah 15 it probably just turned or whatever but Aye. I mean I've always been I guess it's one of those things that I've, I've always, since school, I left school really, really early. I think fourth, maybe fifth year, I don't know. But um, as soon as I discovered music, I guess, through my brother, uh, I would always go to his gigs and stuff and always attach myself to him and his mates because I always, even when it came to partners and stuff, like I always felt more um, more attracted to hanging out with people a bit older than me. I, I just like that sort of vibe because it was a Aye. bit more like sort of, cooler a bit more dangerous and stuff like and I, I guess for parents as well I could always manage to go further places and to more gigs as long as you're accompanied by my older brother an adult some older crowd that seemed a bit more sensible than the place I grew up in sort of thing so um talking to older people I always managed to sort of be in the same wavelength so I guess for them at the time and for where we are from you know you have that attachment of oh you can't hang out with them or they're so much younger, even though they're like six months apart, sort of thing. Um, so yeah, when we met, sorry, I was going off on a tangent there, but you, yeah, you came into the living room, and um, and I, I wasn't like playing drums. <laughs> I think I was just. It was maybe a Friday night, I think, because you, no, you were locally. No, you were on the you were in the computer room, and then maybe came was in af- when we came in after the club. Ah, sorry, that was it. Uh, that we we met very briefly in the computer room. That's probably I was on MSN. I had my black shirt, my red tie on. Yeah, channeling your inner Billy Joel. <laughs> I was your I was your future Mike Dunt. Billy Joe Armstrong was my hero at that point, man. Pretty cool. But um, 
And then I think I remember consciously because I knew that you, I knew you, the band that you were in, Lost for Words, and I did know of you because Andrew around that time might have been like, you know, or, um, I might well, we be joining were, we this band. Act- we were my actions you exit at that point. Th- then, oh no, but the way I knew oh, you before. though, because right, okay. yeah, the way Andrew was describing you probably <clears> at the time was this guy from this band. Um, so I, I might, I don't know, but it might be a conscious effort for me to stay up just so I could spend some more time with <laughs> because I thought you were so cool. But I think it was like, because why, I, I, looking back, because I wasn't on the computer at the time, which is normally the only reason why I'd stay up, I remember you used to come in, it must have been 4am, oh, and really, I was still up. It was really late, <laughs> man, because we went to a club and then we went back to some, yeah. let's just say, party, and then <laughs> ended up going back to the house and you were sitting well, with Chris and Dip. <laughs> I must have been just so wild thinking I had a celebrity in the house. <laughs> <laughs> or I just wanted to see that red tie again. Oh, mate, the famous Stars and Straps <laughs> belt buckle. Uh, yeah, oh, I don't know. I think it was a DJ deck belt buckle. Yeah, so, like, I think, <laughs> I think, I think you just ended up kind of, because Andy, Andy joined the band and you were into the music scene and you were into that kind of music and you, became, you, you were, you became pretty good pals with Mackie, who was our best pal and he was like, the merch guy for the band and stuff so you just basically you pretty much just were hanging about with when yeah were you at school uh I, I, that's what i mean i think i was just about to leave it was definitely probably around the summer of which where you stopped caring and i rarely showed up sort of thing so i was going out it was when i was more when i met you then i think that's when maybe my brother was like oh can john johnny's going to come to the band practice and you're like oh sound and then because mackie was there we became the two guys that weren't in the band that were sort of part of that crowd. Yeah. So me and him just became really close. And obviously um, we just became close then, like all of us as a group. And I think that's when I sort of legitimized myself of being a part of that band's group where I wasn't an outsider trying to sort of join in the jokes and stuff. Yeah, man. Yeah. And then obviously that was like 2005, 2006. And then 2007, I moved into 31F oh, God. Uh, yep. with Mikey. And that's when I think, you know, the more parties started happening and like mm-hmm. um, you you were you were coming up the flat quite a lot. And, yeah. um, and then, you know, just over the next couple of years, we just grew closer and closer through gigs and drinking and yeah, hanging out. <laughs> On the my actions, and then two thousand. What's that? Oh, well, I didn't know if you were going to touch on it, so sorry for interrupting. But yeah, obviously, after all, I mean, that must have uh, spanned a certain amount of years of um, whilst Mikey was at the flat, and then at that point, whilst all that was happening, I was um, moved to Glasgow on my own, pretty much, um, oh, yeah, yeah. sort of couch, couch surfing through, through different crowds. Because you were in college, were you at college? I went to the Glasgow Met for a while and that was, um, it worked out cheaper, I guess, because being from Greenock, that train journey, my mum was like, you know what, it's best get get yourself a place in Glasgow because that rent would be cheaper than student accommodation and that monthly um, thing. So she trusted a couple of people who were older me to be like, can he move in with you or whatever? And obviously that didn't work out. Well, it was to a certain degree, it was fine, but all those different other groups weren't quite, I wasn't as close as to obviously the way I was with your band and you and Mackie and everybody else. So I didn't know if you were going to touch on that fateful phone call. What, well, you moved in? 
yeah, yeah, that yeah, one yeah, yeah, of course. So that's what I was going to say. So, yeah, Mikey was we moved in two thousand seven. He moved out two thousand eight. Fig moved in two thousand eight. Oh yeah, Fig, Fig was, was before me. Sorry, Fig was in the band at the time with me, and he moved into the flat. But we were a bit too crazy for Fig, man. He just, <laughs> he just couldn't handle it. Because uh, that's be, what attracted to fair, me. <laughs> to be fair to him, he was monday to friday up at six seven a.m every day and i was shift work so i was partying through the weekend stuff it must have been hell yeah. <laughs> for him to be yeah. fair but uh so then fig moved out and i was i was stuck man and uh, i remember we were in sitting weatherspoons one day i was like day drinking and i was talking about how i was maybe gonna have to find some random move in way and stuff and i was getting really upset about it and you were living with somebody else at the time and you were just like man i'll move in with you and I, was yeah, like, well, for, I, remember- I was like for real <laughs> no, I think I remember. Um, I don't know. Right, I was where I lived at the time. Uh, or oh, I forget the name. It was above a funeral. I think it was Mount Florida. I was Southside. It, be- it, it was definitely Southside. Um, Dowan Street or Dowan Road. I think it was called. Or, um, um, but basically, the contract that that flat was under, or which we were under, wasn't actually even. It didn't exist. It was almost being sub. It was it was like being sublet, or it was by month by month basis. So, um, I was there for about a, a must have been a month or two. Honestly, it wasn't that much, and that's why because I wasn't emotionally invested into it. But I did take, I did jump ship, so to speak. I was just like, you know what, this isn't for me where I currently am, and I was feeling just genuinely down because it was after a, a tough breakup. Yeah, and I was just like, I don't really know where I want to like move to or whatever it was, and then. Obviously, I wasn't. Uh, I didn't know about Fig moving out and stuff. And then, yeah, I remember being in my flat one night, and I didn't even miss a beat. And you phoned me, or it might have been Andrew, and passed you over. But you were like, "Do you want to move in?" And I just knew my parents would understand because they trusted you guys way more um, than all my other friends groups. And um, yeah, and that was it. I was just like, "Yep." Yeah. And you're like, you sh- "Seriously?" I was like, "Yeah, cool." Definitely, I'll phone my mum now. And yeah. I, I, I was so happy, man, because like <laughs> I, I went from like not knowing what was going to happen if I was going to live with some, you know, f- fucking idiot that I didn't know, or, and yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't afford to live myself at the Kept time. Kept the dream alive. And before I knew it, I had a mate, but also an actual best mate that was moving in, man. And then, <laughs> you know, it wasn't for long, as we'll get into, um, but it was a great time, man. I mean, obviously, my memory's a bit fuzzy of it, but. Uh, yeah. it was just it was just good times of being young and like you know we had jobs and bills and stuff but we, you know responsibility wise like to what it is yeah. now to what it is now it was nothing man and uh, we just we just partied man and uh, we, we we went to shows and played shows and yeah toured with a band and got drunk and you know it's just you, amazing you know chicks and that but uh, <laughs> it was just so much it was just so much fun man you were so young man like i mean i was young i was 22 21 at the time 21 and you were like 18 you weren't you were about 18 well remember i was up i mean which birthday was where you got the stretch limo to go to rev (laughs) uh 20 i mean a stretch limo to go to a student union is quite a big statement for a bunch of emos isn't it it was free champagne but man I remember everybody chipping in and me just being like, one, I hope that I can like manage to get in this limo, and two, I have not a penny to chip in here for this limo. So instead, because Rev is known for being one of the worst places to ID people, normally 
I would take Andrew's ID. Um, but obviously, this occasion it was a bigger deal for himself and everybody else for the band mo- uh, mainly to go. I was yeah. like, you know what, boys, I'll just stay back at thirty one effing. And I, uh, I remember I gave the whole flat a deep clean just as a present because I was like, well, I'm sat here bored and like it's proper in my nature just to clean, yeah, as everybody true. would know. But um, yeah, no, it was yeah, it's crazy the amount of. So, yeah, sorry, fast forward to when I was living there. Yeah, the amount of crazy times. Yeah, so, like, let's just let's just touch on, you know, a lot of what my uh, my whole journey, my career, my page, everything that I do is all because I used to be a certain way and I had battles with booze and then now I gave that up and, you know, I lost, <laughs> I lost a lot of weight and I got into fitness and I am who I am now because of that. Yeah, and uh, the reason I talk about it so much is because it was obviously quite serious. It was quite bad, and you, yeah. you, you moved to London, two thousand and nine. Nine, nine. Yeah. So I was, you know, so you maybe didn't even see the worst of it because I was still. I'd say the last couple of years was the worst for me. Yeah. But you weren't there. But as you, as a wee guy, like, what did, <laughs> what, what did you think of like the way, me, you know, I, I was back then. It, it's it's weird, isn't it? Because it's it's a very serious thing, obviously alcoholism. But when you're that age, one, you don't recognise it as being a problem, and two, as a young guy, seeing it, especially seeing your mates go through it, it doesn't seem. It never seemed to me, put it this way, that crazy. Because, um, I guess the during the day to which, if I was at college and doing stuff like that, I would say that's when the the bigger. Um, problems came, wasn't it? I guess when when someone starts to let alcohol interfere with, say, their working life and their close relationships, as opposed to because um, when we were around each other mainly at the, in the evening, it was night outs, so everybody was drinking. So uh, one, when you're under the influence, everybody seems the same, and it doesn't seem that crazy. But I guess I never saw the times where, say, you would miss work or. Um, you would be in the pub during the day, stuff yeah. like that. Because obviously we boozed a few times like that together um, <clears throat> in what seemed more innocent occasions. But I guess um, it seemed normal. It seemed fine. Um, and we were always joking, weren't we, about certain people, I guess, like amongst the group who would drink more often than others. But again, when you're 18, 19, 20, it's not like, mate, you're an alcoholic, you have to have a look at this, or this is going to end up being this certain way because everybody drinks to the point of obliteration at that age. But I remember, um, I guess, a few occasions, not even anything like too specific, but it was when, say, people like your dad would come up to the flat or um, when, like not even to go into uh, John's situation, but when we were at your gig and his dad came up, you know, and yeah. Fig's dad, uh, when Fig was living there, it was yeah. always those interventions sort of thing that I think made that it we, seem, shit, something's going on here. I, I think when I, I think looking back for me, something that should have been a massive red flag for people, but again, like, you're not going <laughs> to, you're not going <laughs> to, at that age, you're not going to fucking say to your best mate, you know, like mate, I think you should fucking yeah go into rehab or something. You're just going to yeah, go, no. oh, mate, you're fucking mental. But like looking back, it is like you and Mackie and your brothers stuff like that. The next day, all you should want to do is eat and like sit yeah. about. Whereas I'd be like, who's coming to the pub? Or are we going to shop to get That's more true. booze? And nobody else would ever want to keep drinking unless it was me, my mom, Owen, or John. 
That's true, um, yeah. And we were the only ones that would, like, we would wake <laughs> up and drink the dregs out the bottles and stuff like that because we just needed more booze. But you guys were like, what is wrong with you? Do you know what I mean? Whereas, well, uh, yeah, it's true, actually. You know what I mean? But at the at that point, again, you probably never thought much of it. You probably thought, oh, he's taking this too far or whatever. But then... No, because I, I guess, because I think it's important for people to know as well, Every t- it's not like every time you drank, it was like that do you know what I mean like I mean it had so many like peaks and valleys to it of like craziness but generally it would be like I mean if we all went out as crazy as semantics we got up to where it's not like every night you went out you were a steaming wreck lying on the floor do you know what I mean it wasn't like that it was just but I'd probably you, were, say you were always like, up I'd probably say about 90-95% percent it would uh, be like that but that's but again uh, that's the thing that's the thing you'd maybe go to bed and I'd, yeah. stay, I'd stay up and keep drinking till I literally passed out stuff like that. That's yeah, yeah. I, I guess that's the kind no, of thing that a lot of people don't see, but yeah, definitely. But then, um, but yeah, but obviously, if you you moved to London, it then obviously was getting it got worse. But you obviously weren't going to know anything because I'm not going to. Yeah. I wasn't going to be pure telling you the ins and outs. Say, no, of course. And problems. I think you, I think you also managed a way of um, suppressing like the darker side to to certain people because like I said there would be so many people that you'd be very much more open to getting off your face and because I guess you knew they were in the same wavelength so you knew you would avoid maybe asking me if I wanted to go to a pub during the afternoon because you knew I I wouldn't maybe understand why or and it might have been in your subconscious but yeah like it's not like you would go up to me or Mackie and be like right boys let's go to the pub because like you yeah. said, you knew we would be more interested in food as much as we were heavy drinkers, but you would pick the people that you knew wouldn't necessarily judge you, I guess. Yeah. At the same time as well, man, let's move on to you. It was, uh, oh, no. I, I, not, not, that you, not that you have an issue as such, but I think you'd recognise at a very young age that you shouldn't drink certain things. Yeah. Because you got yourself into a bit of bother, so, and ever since that, like the time where the, I think you smashed a window, there was a time in thirty one F you smashed up the guitar. Uh, <laughs> like well, you, yeah, I think since those times, which was a long time ago, you've yeah, never really, you've ne- I've never seen you in a state once ever. Yeah, I, I, I def, like I've had bloody like you said my fair share. There's, there's just it's one of those things but there's like, something just I'm, there's what I'm getting at there is you made that decision what? very young to be like I'm, yeah. not, I'm not doing that I think I think it was I guess coming down to London it seemed like you've got more to lose so it's not worth I mean when I first moved down here I did have maybe one or two occasions where uh, Tony saw me in a state where it just I don't know it just was unattractive and just over the top and, scary. I, and I remember scary I, because obviously you're out your comfort zone so at first, a few nights out, you think this is great because you're in this new city and surroundings and stuff. But I just remember just being like, you know what? I think originally I was just like, I'm not going to touch spirits. And uh, from uh, since being here, just because I knew they never agreed with me, and I was just like, with, with beer for me, really, it's a more heavier drink. So I was like, you know, if I just have a few beers and I got into a habit of just taking a certain amount and I just was able to manage it but it was scary and it was conscious because like you say the, the amount of stuff that happened in Glasgow we just like punching holes in walls and bloody when you fall out with mates and all the stuff that you I guess you traditionally do as a kid but when you're coming into adulthood you've got to be careful but um, yeah it was definitely a conscious decision and it was hard as well because a lot of people I was associating myself with down in London were I guess more my age um, 
are a bit younger or whatever, and they were always obviously whatever what place I was in were very like there's a big pub culture obviously down here as well. So it's yeah, like sure. I, I I don't know. I just sort of thought Tony's a bit older than <clears> me. I want to sort of show that I'm not young and immature, sort of thing. Um, and I just didn't really got on with it. Like hangovers affect me a lot, like they do most people, and it's just like especially t- since tattooing, it's like you can't wake up hangover and tattoo. You just can't. Yeah. It's it's if you think not about, a great place to be in. Think about it like every, everything that me and you have achieved in the last say uh, six, seven, eight years. You know, you have your own business tattooing. I've got my own business, personal training, Iron Man. You've married with a, <laughs> you're married with a kid. Um, you know, you came to Iron Man with me. Uh, all the London triathlons and stuff like. No, we would never have done any of that shit together if, <laughs> if either of us, if I'd obviously kept drinking or if you had kept falling into the same trap or drinking spirits and getting into trouble. Yeah. Like, none of that shit would happen, man. If, yeah. if that, and that's and that's like so important for me to always point out, man, yeah. because people always see people like me and you maybe doing well and go, oh, you're doing so well. And I'm like, yeah, but only because yeah. I made exactly. that fucking decision, man. And it's like, it's frustrating to know that there's so many other people yeah, doing so much more with their life if they just made that simple fucking decision. Yeah, it's not absolutely. simple. I understand it's very fucking hard, and I still struggle with it. But if they could only see what they what they could get out of life, <laughs> there he is. Sorry, they've made his way into the room. There, he can find my voice from anything. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's my voice he hears, but he wants to talk to me. Um. So yeah, I think you know we've been through a lot, man. Uh, yeah, in our short. It's- a short life so far and more, all of it really is down to both of us basically screwing the nut a little bit yeah I mean I, re- I remember because I guess when I first moved into London you visited a few times and um, it was whilst you were still drinking and again like it was fairly I guess like it was all civil like we went out for a few oh I would actually I say that but now I remember headbutting somebody at Piccadilly Circus I was sober we- I was off it <laughs> oh were you off it then uh, so I, I was off it um, I only yeah, went. To, so, I only came down to see you once when I still drank. Once, yeah. Once, and uh, yeah. I was absolutely fucking steaming. And uh, we were in that nightclub, and you told me it was open till four a.m. I went up to get a drink at quarter to two, and she told me the bar was shut. And I was like, "Are you fucking kidding me?" Right, that was not my fault as well. I know I'm known for a fib or two, maybe, but it was one of those like bar clubs where every night you were there, it was like lock in six a.m., four a.m. to it. It just, there was never set rules, so. Me telling everybody, oh, it's a good place or whatever, it closed till four. I had no idea. <laughs> <laughs> Man, let's, we need to talk about, obviously, how you ended up <clears throat> uh, in London. Uh, so let's go back the way you were living with me. Yep. You then weren't living with me and Nate moved in because you were moving to London. Yeah? N- no, no, no. Um, <clears throat> after... That's a that's a very good question because no, um, Nate was living with you for quite a while um, before I'd even because I was working at Classic Grand as a glass collector and I remember, but then I don't know why we gave up the room in the flat because when I, I moved think, into I think, London, I think, you, I think you knew you wanted to go to London and you're saving money or something, man. No, de- it was definitely not because I was only talking to Tony literally from the November uh, from October. And I was moved uh, uh, October, November. I think it was the very beginning of November. And by January, I had moved. 
So I wasn't couch surfing for just two months, especially over Christmas. It was for quite a while. I remember me, Mac, me and Andrew used to come up and sleep in the couches for. I mean, you moved out, but you were still staying every weekend and coming in. Yeah, four in the morning and all that. But yeah, I use that term loosely. Yeah. So basically, you met Tony mm-hmm. randomly. Tony is obviously your wife, and we'll get into yep. more about you know your marriage and stuff like that later on. But uh, but yeah, so you met Tony through a mutual friend as you were going to get some modelling photos done. <laughs> no, that is not true. <laughs> yes, it is. No, it's, I was, uh, basically, I was hanging out with a mutual friend, Mel Fletcher, at the time. We were just hanging out. Um, where I remember we went to Asda one night. And actually, quick side note, Tony had been to Glasgow once before, just visiting, um, as I was uh, with Steffi. Because she's from Steffi's from Scotland, so as they'd done a road trip from London up, they went out to ABC one night and they met all of us, including yourself. Us as a big group, but we were all drunk and it was so hazy. And she came up with an ex-boyfriend, so a few of them they all had partners. So we didn't really, well, we weren't all like chatting properly. We just sort of were introduced to him briefly, and then that was that. And then the following day, they went via Mel Fletcher's flat to which she the party means uh, John. Uh, woke up and they asked for directions so we saw him again very briefly and that was that and then a few months later um, or maybe actually like quite a, uh, a few months uh, I was with Mel in Asda and she was like oh give me two seconds I'm just chatting to my mate Tony from London she just spotted with her boyfriend um, she's quite upset and stuff and I was like who's that and she showed me a photo and I was like oh can I have her number and she was like don't be daft she doesn't even know you and I was like ah but she's hot and stuff so can I have her number and I think she was like oh stop pestering me so she gave me her number I gave her a call left her a voice note just uh, a voicemail just saying like you, my name's Johnny you don't know me or we might have met briefly but um, give me a call back or whatever to which she then added me online who's that? Chatting. I don't know. I just well, I was like, she's hot, and she's just and because she was like a bit old on stuff, and she was like Good just with her boyfriend. So uh, yeah, we started chatting on MSN, and then for my birthday, my mum was I really wanted to go to the London Tattoo Convention at the uh, end of September, and then I also coincided it with this weird modelling thing I got online, um, <laughs> and then I also met up with her that trip as well. So I done like for the whole weekend. I went to all three things sort of thing. And yeah. to, uh, Tony was the only person I knew, so she was like, oh, let's hang it. And literally, uh, we chatted a few weeks into it. Uh, she got me a trial shift down here at Topshop. And then because I was pretty much unemployed because I hadn't been shown up to Classic Grand to do my glass collecting shifts <laughs> and sort of weighing it up in my mind, I was like, I'm in London with so much opportunity and I'm being pestered to go back and collect glasses. <laughs> at a club I would get pure felt up by old men and stuff as I'm trying to collect their glasses so I was like uh, you know what it's a no brainer like, yeah it's, and it was weird because I remember coming up or getting a text from you guys oh Johnny we're going out tonight and I was like oh I moved to London <laughs> it was almost that yeah, sudden it was, like, everybody it was, was so surprised it was so crazy man and like that's where that's what I think is amazing about the whole thing man it's just like you know you're obviously a successful tattoo artist at the moment, um, but you fucking went down there with absolutely hee haw, man, didn't you? Oh, nothing, literally, not even, not even a pound. I had one outfit, and I was just like, so I was just like, so just talk yeah. about that. Like, how did you? How did you? Uh, just like the first, like, how did you make it work initially? Like, did you did you get a job? Did you get a flat? Well, yeah. Um, Tony was like, oh, listen. Even though we didn't know each other that much, we were officially going out by that point. Uh, 
and it was all fairly quick, but we just sort of went with it. She said, I can get you some trial shifts. The best I can do sort of thing through her connections at retail. She was like, I can maybe get you a trial shift um, at Topshop on the creative team, which won't come to, uh, end up with a job, but it will get you somewhere. Done that. And I was still uh, not commuting, but I was still hadn't had a place to stay. So I was going back to Scotland. And then I met some contacts and stuff and handed my CV into the head office just saying, listen, I know there's no creative jobs or anything, but even on the shop floor as an assistant, a uh, sales assistant, um, they were actually opening up a new shop in Knightsbridge, like brand new. So they needed like a whole new team. So I got a call as I was in Greenock in my bed, like at 3 p.m. still in my bed being like, um, do you want to come for an interview? And then, excuse me, I went to back down to London, done the interview processes, got it. Um, started there and then it was it was a really it was like a slow climb to where I am now I guess because I've been here obviously like a decade but I just worked my way through retail Um basically I then got a job at Debenhams because I knew they were sort of down the ladder creatively from Topshop but I had all the photographs from when I was doing the trial shifts uh, on the night shifts and all the creative stuff I was helping out with got a job on the creative team at Debenhams built up a bigger portfolio in the space of a few months and then went back to top man in the creative team and I worked my way up there to a supervisor position. So it was it was very quick because I just tactically at the very beginning knew like the critical path of what you wanted to do. I was like, right, if the end goal is this at this point, I don't want to wait around. You know when you're in those jobs for big corporations and they always try and move you up at their pace based on money or even if somebody's got potential, they, they'll keep them somewhere just to like where they are because they yeah, don't yeah. want them to climb too fast because there's nowhere to go, I guess. Yeah. Um, but I was just like, to hell with that. I was just like, no, if I feel I'm ready for the next sort of move up, I'm just going to leave companies to come back and sort of tactically move around that way. And it worked because in retail, it's so political and it's so weird the way you yeah. have to like. And anyway, moved my way up with that. So and you then, are just renting a room or something at this point? Uh, yeah, well, oh, sorry, yeah. When I was at Knightsbridge, uh, I stayed at Tony's for a little bit and she was like, listen, we're still new as a relationship, so um, it's best if you find your own place. So I moved in with a few people in Wimbledon, just strangers uh, in a flat share. It was really good, actually. I wasn't there for long, but looking back for what I was paying for where it was and the people I stayed with, it was, that, it was a good deal. And then I was there for, I think, six months <clears> even. And then, that, then by that point, me and Tony were like, she, I mean... You we're both, <laughs> well, we were just like paying two separate rents within like a f- two mile radius of right. each other. We were like, why don't we? And it was closer to work. And I was just like, why don't we just. We just sort a house in Putney. It, house in Putney. And so I was I there. Be, f- yeah. I couldn't believe that shit, man. I remember I came down to <laughs> the first time after you moved into that house, man, that flat. And uh, I was like, what the hell, man? Like, this is insane. <laughs> This is insane. What are you doing living here? Like, this is fucking nuts. You went from, oh. you went from 31 F to this. This is unbelievable. <laughs> well, but I mean, like, I'm, yeah. But I mean, like, as a wee guy, what was that like going for living in a very small, you know, tight knit place tight, like Glasgow, yeah. to, yeah. you know, London, working, know, in o- working in Oxford Street and stuff like that? I, I, know, I remember, mental. like, it was. It was completely mental. Like, I remember so many people. Uh, from Glasgow at the time, man, do you know the amount of people I used to see online? MySpace bulletins, pure ripping me, or just pure uh, subliminally, like, getting you a wee dig online, just being like, this guy's not going to last, or what on earth? Because amongst all the people that I guess eventually did move down, like, I was definitely one of the first 
people to just disappear, I guess, from Glasgow at the time and then just uh, find my way to London. It was just a very un... Like, nobody really done that. I think what's very... Sorry, I thought you were finished there, Kim. No, no, I was just saying, like, yeah, so I did get a lot of, not backlash, but a lot of people being like, oh, he's not going to last. Give him two months, blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, what are you talking about? One, it's like, none of your business if I do or I don't, but it's just, I I was all in and I just knew as fast-paced as London was, it's, you get used to your surroundings in cities and what seems like a big place at first becomes your home eventually and you sort of can navigate your, I don't know, it's just, you haters get Haters going to hate, bro, haters going to hate. Haters going to hate. Uh, all or nothing, baby. But, um, <laughs> but I think what's really important to point out is that as much, like, you've done it all on your own, 100%, however, your parents have always been so supportive of you. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they've helped you out with rent when needed and stuff like that. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and I think, you know, you obviously got a good relationship with your parents and um, I think that's obviously amazing that they, they've always been there for you, you know. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they're I they're to thank for so much of it because I guess especially I being a parent. That, <laughs> what I, always that, I always got that envelope off your mum every month and fit on F. There's the council <laughs> tax, I guess. <laughs> oh, bless her heart! Like the thing is, like looking back, it, it wouldn't have been easy because, like, I remember when I was living at thirty one F. Like every Wednesday, she would come up with like bags of groceries and new sheets and she would do all the housework almost for us but she would always be like I got another letter to on him saying you've not been to college for a month I was like oh I've been having fun <laughs> <laughs> and like I guess ultimately she knew that uh, I guess I wanted to pursue art and she would always be like listen like obviously it's hard to be somebody that's like you know putting your all into say every subject of stuff like school and stuff she was like just as long as whatever you're passionate about you pursue with everything you've got and they'll support that. So, that's it, man. That's it, man. And that's something like, looking back yeah. for me, I, you know, I always find so hard to think about about my dad, mate, because mm. I always, when I used to drink, right, I was like, drinking makes you selfish and you're so self-centered and everyone's, mm. out, everyone's out to get you, right? And uh, looking back, I remember like working in the bank and stuff and, uh, you know, obviously not turning up and, you know, not not maybe doing so well because of how I was living my life and that. You know, I was obviously getting a hard time off my dad about it because he's, he's the one that got us a job. Obviously, one, he always just wanted me to do well, but two, yeah, but two, he always used to say to me, "See if you don't like it, like leave, like do something mm. you enjoy. See if you need, see if you make less money. Just go and do something that you actually yeah. enjoy, you actually enjoy." Whereas I was just like in my head, he was just basically telling me to get to fuck out the bank, and I was just like. <laughs> Fucking do what I want, right? Um, <laughs> but he would always say that stuff, and he would always be like, "Why?" You know, he never really understood understood the band thing. But bless him, like from his heart, he would always say to me stuff like, "Why don't you just like get a van and cut about with the band and see what happens and stuff?" I'm like, yeah. "You know, I'd love to do that. It's just not really realistic." But, um, but he was always just wanting me to pursue what I wanted to do because he didn't want me to be yeah. unhappy in the bank getting pissed because I hated it. Do you know what I mean? Exactly. But, but at the time, yeah. I never saw that, man. No, you, of course. You're probably, you're probably the same, probably thinking your parents are giving you a hard time all the time. But Well, yeah, exactly. Like, But it's funny because think about the way your dad would have spoke to you and about the, the angle of pursuing your dream stuff. That's like how you sound now. Oh, of course. Like, and the, the, the wording of everything, it's like that's exactly what he said to you is exactly what you would say to your son. He always used to say it, man. He always used to say it when he, when I when he'd have to come and pick me up from a I didn't turn up to work and he would have to come and get me. 
Mm. And you know, at the end, he'd, he'd, give, he'd give me into trouble and the, the the lecture and all that. But at the end, of it, he would always just be like, "You got to do what makes you happy," and this is yeah. you happy. So when he passed, and I was like, I sorted my life out, and I was like, between the bank and personal training, and I was like, I don't mm. know if I can go full time. I'm too scared of income and stuff like that. It's always remember yeah. that. I always remember that stuff that he used to say to me of hundred percent. Just do what makes you happy, and I, you know, and that's ultimately what. Yeah, it, you know, it's so rare as well. There's no job that really ticks all the boxes of like the right amount of income with the right amount of flexibility and X, all this, all these other points. It's just about just finding that one thing you're passionate about and just focusing on it because, yeah, like money comes and goes and all the rest of it, but it's just finding that solid thing that just keeps you mentally like interested. And it's just like they're right, all the old cliches. Are cliches for a reason, aren't they? And parents ultimately do just want the best for you. And when you look yeah. back, there's so, yeah, there's so many times where you just sounded like a stuck-up little brat, but oh, really, and you see, you get away with murder. That's what I mean. Everybody in general, and us too, and stuff like, like we were so lucky to have that sort of good guidance and uh, con- um, not consistency, but not being given up on. You know, yeah, well, like of the amount of chances we were given, the amount of times we would get phone calls of being like, oh. I was in jail. <laughs> no, no, I. Can you can you help me and all that sort of stuff? And it's like there's just no no judgment really. It's just like, yep, yeah, cool, but we've got to try and get this sorted. And you're like, no, nah, I'm fine. And then you're like, oh, another night out. Yeah. It's the same time. And you you obviously know that as a parent now, man. Do you know what I mean? But like, you yeah. know, and and these are these are things that's hard. You know, it's hard for me to live with. You know, looking back because it was always you know, yeah, you know, all you know, I'm a good person now, but I wasn't always and. My dad yeah. never, he never gave up on me, man, you know. Uh, even at a point where I was trying to fight him when he's in his own house, all right, he didn't speak to me for a few months, but he still forgave yeah. me and, and was my pal again. And uh, how lucky was I for that, man? Do you know what I mean? No, um, of course, to, but to I have, guess that's to have that. But it's that never give up attitude, isn't it? It's just like, like that's where they put their energy into was us. So, like, as we tell people and I guess, the industries that we now work in or close people to us now, like, don't give up on X, Y, and Z. Like, that's all they were doing, you know, sticking by the same rules of never giving up on us. Of course, man. And we are, and we'll go, well, again, this is something that we're going to talk about today. You know, that we are fortunate that we can wake up and, you know, as much as it's stressful sometimes, especially for yourself, um, with having a kid and stuff. But we can, we can wake up and like actually enjoy going into work. That's a rare thing, I think. And uh, but it's all down to what did we just talk about? The fact you went down to London with a quid. <laughs> you know what I mean, like, <laughs> so when you were doing all those jobs, man, like, did you always just want to be a tattoo artist? Is that what yeah. it always was since you were a kid? Yeah, man, it's it's crazy. Like, I just remember being in the pub just off of St. Enoch's Square. I think it was with my granda. He had tattoos and he would, I remember my mum being like, oh, Jonathan's interested in that sort of, I think I was 14. And I remember just going back to school. I mean, I've always been interested in like alternative culture, like in like skateboarding and heavy music, that sort of stuff. So tattooing's always, so it's always been a thing, isn't it? It's always been apparent in those industries. And then, yeah, like I've still got letters from when I used to like apply for jobs in like Terry's tattoo studio in Trongate. Um being unsuccessful even just because the fact that I was bloody 16 they're like mate you're not even old enough to come into a tattoo shop 
And then being 18 and then 19, that's when I made a move to London. So that limbo period took me a time to get used to and just earn money and just find a living because I knew as if when you get an apprenticeship within tattooing, obviously it's unpaid and traditionally really hard and long. So I knew I had to work my way up to a point where I could financially support myself on the days that I work at whatever job and will support the days that I'm working an unpaid job at the other half of the week. So yeah, when it, I, I think I'd done my first tattoo when I was 21 and that was Ricky Williams who basically said, if you find somebody for your birthday, you, you can come to the studio I'm working at in Luton. I'll talk you through it and you can just have a bit of fun. And then that was also the same studio that you came to. You were my second tattoo and that's when we'd done your dad's signature on your ankle. So it was that studio and the same surroundings and stuff. Um, and then it just got me the, gave me the bug. So I, I think it was 2011, I'd done my first tattoo. Um, and then I was like, right, I need to start being serious about this. And then when I worked my way up to a certain level and top man, um, I got a job doing the weekend creative stuff, supervising at uh, Top Shop a couple of days. And then I spent Monday to Friday at a studio in London. I managed to get an apprenticeship. Um, and then I'd worked, yeah, both of those two uh, seven days a week for a year and a half. What is that? This is this is the juicy stuff, man. I want to, <laughs> I, I want to get into, man. Uh, no, in all seriousness, man. Like you know, something like that is hard, hard going, and you know it's the yeah. same. And I, I kind of, I don't think, I don't think my route to personal training was probably as hard going as that as what you've done. But I still. I worked in the bank full time while yeah, I went to college. I remember that. Went yeah. to college at the weekends to get my gym instructor qualifications and then, you know, my PT qualifications. And then I was like part time, full time. Sorry, part time in both jobs, working seven days a week. But yeah, I don't think it was as as hard going as uh, as what your apprenticeship was, man. In terms of like how much you were working and what you were doing, and yeah, yeah. the fact that you you know you you had you had a partner and stuff like that. So. So what was it like? Because this is what I'm getting at when I'm talking about people say all the time, oh, you're so lucky because you get, you're doing a job that you really enjoy. Yeah. So lucky. And it must, <laughs> must be so good. I'm like, nah, it's not luck, man. It's, you know, yeah. we're, we're here for a fucking reason. Nobody handy does this. And, and also, yeah. And, and, and you know, and uh, this is where people don't see, man. They don't see that, that you know, working seven days a week with no getting paid for it. And, yeah, you know, and hardly been able to afford rent and stuff like that. So, what was it like? What was it? What? 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 What did it? Like, what, uh, was it? what was it? At first, it was really, um, really exciting because obviously I was like, oh, um, I'm apprenticing in one of the most like reputable new studios in London, and I was like, that's amazing. Like, and everybody was sound you know it was it wasn't necessarily that it was it it became dead uh i don't know I, I definitely got very depressed very quickly but it's weird because especially when you experience depression for the first time like something like that you don't recognize it as being that because it's a new thing and you've never experienced it but you just become really run down and it was weird because as i was going back to say top shop and stuff at the weekends i was getting more positive energy from somewhere like that because obviously you've developed relationships, everybody's sound, you already know your job role and you're getting paid for it and it's just more upbeat in general. But the apprenticeship was really grueling, man. It wasn't like, uh, it wasn't like, oh, you were upbeat and 
You were yeah. staying in the house with Tony, but you yeah. had rent. You had rent to pay in bills. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I managed to cover everything from the site from the what I got from retail and stuff. But obviously, Tony had to carry me throughout that entire year and a half. Any, I mean, we didn't get any time to spend together whatsoever. It was like maybe one day off in a year and a half, literally. And obviously, I couldn't even afford travel, so I was cycling everywhere. Like there's been nights I'd have to cycle thirteen miles. Uh, to somewhere to see somebody for like an hour and then Tony would get the train home but I'd need to cycle 13 miles back because it was that tight with money and stuff um, so it was crazy um, the tolerance you build up especially like so yeah you put your body through everything like so it'd be like tra- I would have to be the first one there obviously do all the, the sort of jobs like mop floor like do all the stations build up break down clean all the tubes do all like dispose of all the needles and then you get personal jobs on top of that and then because it's a new shop there's a lot of bits and bobs that you have to actually um just do aside from the basic workings of uh, an established shop that's got the sort of system in place at that point but um everybody was like i said it was everybody was there was sound a lot of nice people and lots of crazy opportunity meeting people within the industry but yeah, it became really sour dead quickly and it just took its toll on me mentally. It, I mean, the fact that Tony was still there at the end of it, I'm bloody surprised because I was just a bloody downer. Like, it, it just made us feel so, made me feel sorry, just so, I don't know, he couldn't even place it, but you just nah, feel, it took its toll. You just feel that you were like getting in a dark, dark place mentally? Yeah, really dark. Oh, completely. It's, it's tricky. It's like until you're working somewhere where you've built up in your mind for so many years uh, thinking it's going to be this type of way like all roses and all the rest of it and then when you add on top of grueling shifts like early to late like constantly every day unforgiving just on top of all that not getting a penny for it or stuff like that it sounds like it's you could work it out mentally how to go about doing it and sort of manage it but nah it's like over time you don't realise how much it changes you personally and it, yeah after like a year and a half I was just like didn't know what it was all I knew is that I was very down and depressed and like anxious as hell and I didn't know what to place because obviously when I was going to back to retail at the weekends I was like oh, I feel great because everybody's all bouncy and bubbly and full of energy and what I'd done for the actual job was piss easy like at that point because I was fairly high up I was just like I can just do nothing really and get away with it and just chill and play ping pong the canteen it just seemed like it sounds crazy but because I had no days off I had no time to even do anything so it was cool and then obviously when I went to do what I thought I loved or what I do love but what was meant to be the best thing in my life i.e. this sort of new job or whatever this dream job um I was feeling completely down so I sort of told myself I was like well it can't be tattooing because I know I love tattooing but yet when I go home why am I so depressed so I ended up I was just like I don't know what it is so I took the rest of the decision of just sort of me and Tony on a bit of a break um obviously I was silly mistake we sort of I'd, I'd ever done um ever made sorry um it, so after sort of couch surfing and jumping about like an arsehole like I had, you're still a, doing the apprenticeship at that point eh? still doing the apprenticeship yeah because obviously I was like well it must be my relationship was getting me to this depressing sort of state but obviously 
looking back, you can see obviously how clear it wasn't. But obviously, when you're in it, it sounds silly to say, but when you're living through it, you don't know. As as obvious it may as it may seem to outsiders, you're like, it can't be tattooing, like because it's what I've been working my whole life up to get to, and now that I've essentially in the door, now that I'm in the door, then it can't be that. Um, but obviously, shortly after, um, me and Tony were not together for a small like part of our lives or on a break or whatever it was. Um, we, yeah, I realised I was still feeling the same way I did. So I was like, first of all, I think the first thing um, I have to do is leave the shop. And yeah. I didn't think twice. It was weird. It's, it's almost like, as everybody's telling you, you're like, it's not that. But then, I don't know, I just woke up one day, I was like, I'm in the wrong place. It's just not what I should be doing or it's not the right angle. And not being with Tony is not the answer because obviously I was still completely head over heels and stuff. And I was just like, fuck this. Like, and I just, again, as typical of me, he moved so sort of quickly in that stuff. I was like, when in the next day I was like, not coming back. It's not for me. Um, it's just not right. Um, uh, me and Tony worked together for that summer. Like I, like, had to obviously had a lot to prove because it wasn't a case of you just sort of walking out the door and because you make a lot of big statements when you're in those sort of, yeah, of um, head head spaces. It's almost like, you know, when you're really obliterated drunk and you say all this stuff, even though you don't mean it, you've still said it. It's in, it's in, it's, it's out there sort of thing. So it's not as a case of like, oh, I was drunk. I didn't mean it. So I'd had to sort of make sure that I, I knew what I wanted and I proved like that it, what, what I said I wanted was exactly what it was. So I just had to go about tattooing a different way, learn to love it again and just pick a different angle to pursue it and then work even harder. But what I did know is that the no days off thing, no time to, for a relationship, no time for myself. I was like, that's not the way to go about it because you, you just like fall out of love with what you're passionate about and you're just doing it for all the wrong reasons, you know? And then... That was that. I went back to Topman um, full-time to earn a bit of money again. I was only there for a couple of months, and then I got a job um, working the regional um, window coordinator or whatever for a London brand called Hackett. Really good brand like uh, for what it was and stuff, and amazing people. It was just so much flexibility. I would just travel around um, all of Europe constantly, but... Um, all the travel time that you travel, you have uh, the time in lieu from that when you get back. So you could be gone for two weeks, but you have two weeks off as soon as you get home. And then obviously weekends off, Monday to Friday, nine to five, head office, strictly good people. It's just very nice and it was really good. And immediately, I also went to therapy for a little bit, um, just done like CBT training and a few other bits. And that just helped me just being able to talk about how I was feeling and stuff and all that just came about so quickly again. I guess after that, I just sort of knew how I wanted to do things and how I had to go about it. And then again, whilst doing that job, because I had all the free time when I came back to London, um, eh, yeah, from traveling and stuff, eh, I tattooed just in my spare time, friends, stuff like that. And um, that was pretty much it. I got offered a job probably about a year of after working at Hackett. And that was it. Then I was in shops from then on. I was very lucky. It was really odd. I remember at the time I was like, there's a few shops that I'd really want to work in. And at the time I was like, because I knew people there, like close mates and stuff, I was like, I'd love to work at the family business. I was like, 
but I'm not there yet because obviously I've only been tattooing officially, I guess, for like a year. Um, but I would also love to work at a shop called Hard Luck. And I genuinely said that. I even wrote them down. I was like, there's a couple of shops. I would just love to. The people seemed like the same sort of person I was, seemed dead relaxed and just chilled. And then like without even having any correspondence with Hard Luck or the people who worked there, just apart from following them on Instagram, I got a message. So I, I was out at uh, a friend's drinks or whatever with Tony, uh, Tommy Key. Uh, and his Mrs. Leanne, we were out, uh, we were all out ha- having some drinks in a place in London. And they even said, they're like, so I know you're tattooing from home stuff and like you're also doing the retail stuff, but w- like, when are you going to go tattooing full time? And I was like, and I was just nervous. I was like, I don't know. How do you go about, how do you tell a shop that you've never worked in a shop before, but you feel you're ready to work in a shop and for them to trust you? And they were like, but where would you work? And I literally was like, oh, this place called Hard Luck, I reckon we'd, like, I'd really like to sort of, give that a go and work uh, in that area with those guys. And literally, as I said that, I got a message on Instagram from one of the owners of Hard Luck Look being like, hey man, where are you working at the moment? Literally, I'd never spoken to him <laughs> before. And as I told somebody the word Hard Luck, about 10 minutes later, I looked at my phone and I ran up to him, showed him my phone. I was like, look at my fucking screen. And they were just like, oh my God. And they just said, where are you working at the moment? We started chatting, done a few trial shifts. Um, and again, I, maintained my work at Hackett for about not even a month I don't think I was pretty much handing in my notes straight away and that was that and then I worked there for a year that was great like a street shop vibe you sort of learn from the bottom up and you just sort of do all the traditional stuff and you just learn the rules and those guys took a big chance on me so I really like can't those guys like done so much do you know what I mean like it takes a lot for somebody to be like yeah was it a was it a total just no even thinking about it when they asked you. Yeah. You knew, you knew you're like, you're obviously, yeah. you'd had a bad experience with the apprenticeship and how it made you feel, but did you realise that that was more just the no days off and the stress and the not getting paid? Yeah. And stuff like that? Well, I think it was a bit tattooing because it's, a, it's this, um, such an old profession. There's no sort of, there's said ways of getting into it, but there's no right or wrong because you'll find that the peers of that industry and the people you may look up to have all gotten into it a different way. Um, and I'd done what I've, I'd done my apprenticeship. I, I felt I've definitely put in as much of my soul into it and done all the sort of traditional stuff you should do. Yeah, obviously, um, I didn't finish it within that shop, but I definitely, um, I definitely, yeah, paid my dues, so to speak. Um, and then when I got that opportunity, I was just like, you know what, what are the chances of this? Yeah. And uh, being so close to Ricky, he taught me, he was like, you know what, with these things, like, you, you got it. Like um, I remember take your opportunities. I remember speaking to you on the phone about it. Oh, I. I getting interrupted, are we? I. <laughs> so Revel just came to say good night. I thought Tony was wanting a winch. No, no. <laughs> just saying a quick good night to River. Right. Um, because I remember having a conversation on the phone to you about about it, and you were like, "Cause I think it must have been. What year was that?" Oh, 2015. Yeah, it literally was the same time that I was on the cusp of part-time uh, yeah. personal We'd training. We'd done everything the at bank. the exact same time. We We've literally got... were working two jobs <laughs> at the same time and, and got full-time at the same time and we I, kept messaging each other. I remember speaking to you on the phone about it one day and, we were, and I think we just had a conversation one day and we were both just like, let's fucking do it, man. And I was like, it was crazy. got to do this, man. Well, we we both just, like I said, we both put ourselves through so much and 
there's so many ups and downs and times where you're like, is this worth it and all the rest of it. But it just, I think, in a weird way, stuff eventually comes to this weird, like fate, I guess people call it, where it's just like, you know what, what if and if I don't and stuff. So I was just like, you know what, this is a time like, whether I'm good enough or not, that will, that will just show over time like you'll never know it unless you don't and it's all well and good tattooing from home and friends and building up little clients and that uh, clients in that sense but and you have to just go all in and I was like this time I don't want to work two jobs regardless if I'm busy or not or not making ends meet like as long as I'm paying rent and stuff but having that spare time that will, will still be better for me Tony a relationship everything in my life so I'm not going to work the two jobs. I'm just going yeah. to, you know, chance it, work my ass off, put all in and just do my best. And then it obviously within one year of being at hard luck, again, I get another phone call of, uh, of, uh, off Ricky just being like, how you been and stuff. Cause we disconnected for a little while as well. So we hadn't spoke. He's just like, how's things going? I was like, yeah, it's going brilliant and stuff. And he was like, you might get a phone call in the next few days. And that's all he literally said. I'd known nothing about it. And I was just like, oh, all right. And then literally, I don't know, a few days later, whatever, uh, Seb, the manager of the family business, uh, phoned me. So after a year of uh, hard luck, um, he was just like, "How's like, do you want to pop in for a chat and stuff? And I ended up going in. And again, I was thinking to myself, is this the right time? I know I've not been at hard luck for, I mean, it was a year exactly, I think. But I was like, as close as I'm, there was guys, you know, I always said, I was like, family business is literally top place for me I was like that's exactly where I want to go um but I was like am I good enough is it the right time I've not been tattooing for long there's a lot to prove it's crazy it's crazy sort of a different environment from I don't know it's a bigger shop more people more eyes on you sort of thing and again I was just like what are the chances of literally just getting these like these two shops that for me are the best I was just like like at those times I was just like you know what just don't think you can sit and put yourself down and say you're not good enough as as long as like all day. But I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go in, and obviously I'll be given the, offered a job or whatever based on the tattoos that I produce in the trial shift. So just yeah. do your best, went in, and then straight away, yeah, they were just like, yeah, if you um, if you want to start full time, and I was I'd remember distinctively uh, on my bloody moped going through Richmond Park, just like it's dead open space, like a national park. Um, like after I accepted the job or whatever, I was just like this crazy feeling of just like, what is happening? Like it's this so soon from tattooing and so quickly like progressing to this, the the uh, to that sort of shop. I was, it was crazy, and I remember just like you know when you start a new job and you you always tell yourself as you walk in every morning, it's like you don't know where to stand, you don't know where to hang out, you don't know what to lean on, you don't know what to pick up, you don't know what you don't want to look like you're taking the piss and like getting so comfortable too quickly, put your feet up in the the car, you know what I mean? So <laughs> you you walk in and it's that feeling of like I cannot wait for the day where I've been here so long where I can walk in and just feel so comfortable and be a part of the the shops, like the dynamic and the infrastructure and the the lineup of people where you are that you are one of those people who work in that shop as opposed to when you start a new job nobody looks at you or looks at that shop that you're a part of or that you're even working in it it takes you a long time to sort of pay like pay your dues and sort of work your way up so I was just I can't wait for the day that I just feel like a part of the team sort of thing and yeah when that came around I was just I cannot believe like I'm where I am yeah I'll actually walk about farting on people in that 
<laughs> well, that's, what, that's what I mean. Because I remember, like, um, everywhere I've been, it's always a new job. I'm such a joker that everybody's always like, oh, your next place, you won't be able to do this, that, and the other. And I'm like, oh, well, we'll soon see. And, but it's not even consciously. I just get so comfortable around people. Or I, I sort of trust people so easily, like, especially if you work with them closely. Yeah. That I always end up being, like, that guy everybody's like, I mean, he's a nice guy, but tell him to stop fucking making fart jokes or, like, try to, like, crack one off my shoulder when I'm on the keyboard, you know what I mean? Like, and I just can't help it. I just feel so, like, silly when I'm, when I'm, I just get those, like, exciting jitters when, you know, during the day, you'll get, uh, of course you will, it's like, well, you sort of look at things from an outside perspective and think, like, I can't believe I get to do what I do. And you get a little buzz of excitement. You're like, oh my God, like, how am I tattooing for a living? Like, how can I, like, 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 I don't know, get my way through life and, like, pay for things based off of, like, what I'm making with my hands? Like, when there's obviously so many people out there that don't get to do stuff like that. But but how many many people would have worked as hard as what you did over those fucking years to get to that point not many people the amount of people that say to me oh I want to do this I want to do that and I'm like cool why are you not doing it oh because you need to do I need to do all that they're just not prepared to fucking work yeah. for it man and uh, you know there's risks that need big big risks you know financially um, mm. you know personally mentally um and just the sheer effort that needs to be put in day in, day out. Like, for me to get to where I am today, I've had to go through every single day the last eight years wanting a drink, not having one. Hmm. Wanting a fag, not having one. You know? Yeah, exactly. Um, doing those doing those college courses when I was working full-time, studying, doing nutrition courses when I'm in the personal training. I could have just went, oh, that's me, I've made it, but I've done further... Yeah, a further education in my spare time, doing Ironman, which helps me as a person, as a as a coach, as, yeah. as a, you know, helps my business and stuff. Like that. It's hard work. Well, uh, yeah, this, and it's the same yeah, for you. This, it's, a, it's a drawing at home, man. It's the not seeing River that much when he was first born. You were working all the time. It's you know the having the pressure of providing for a family. You know all these yeah. things. Not easy, mate. You know it's hard. I know. Uh, no, hard, it's, hard it's, work, man. Yeah. You have to, it's, I guess you have to also when you work, um, I mean, being self-employed or whatever, you just are doing something that's not necessarily the norm. It's like you have to maintain this sort of level of commitment to it as well. It's like of you course. can't have, you, it, like if you just start eating bloody McDonald's every day, even if you tell yourself, you're like, oh, it's fine, like, I've worked with, like, you know what I mean? That will affect you and if I'm like, uh, you know, I'll take a few extra days off. I'll just not pay much attention. Just sort of coast it. It's like that shows in your work as well. So mentally, you have to keep to this. You have to sort of maintain a certain amount of hunger for what you do and passion and stuff. You've so it's like finding better. Yeah. What if your tattoos started getting worse? You know what I mean? People, <laughs> people would keep coming to you. You know, if I, I stopped, know. if I stopped getting results with my clients, or if I started getting really overweight, or stop training who's going to want to come and train with me you know yeah. as you say it's about keeping standards and improve you know improve it yeah. uh, i mean know, i guess with tattooing like, you get a lot of performance anxiety right? a lot of times if say you're on your way to work and you sort of know you've got a big job that day or whatever you're like a lot of times you just tell yourself like what if i can't do it or what if something happens well and even though it, it never has you know what i mean like 
nothing no mistakes have sort of been made in that sense but it's just like you always tell yourself and even sometimes you get the jitters and stuff but it's one of those things that because you're so mentally focused on something it's like all those worries get they disappear because you don't when you're when you have to focus that much on something right in front of your face and your everything in your body has like your hands have to focus your fingers your back everything's working so all those worries disappear and then at the end of the day you're like oh i I remember this morning i was dead worried about that and i ended up having a great like you're invested in it so much that every part of your spare time is also this like it's you're so you have to be devoted to it and you have to have actual passion for it because the people who the people who don't they, they don't last long and that's not saying or like they're not worthy of this and or they should do this x y and z it's just everybody's different like but you get a lot of tourists in industries where they're just like this seems cool i'll do that and it's like it doesn't work like that because things change like if you're a, if you can't just turn around tomorrow and be like i'm going to get myself a six pack and just because you get it doesn't mean you you're now a pt and if you do think you can become a pt it's like are you still going to be building yourself up to all these, are you still going to be studying in five years, 10 years time, you're still going to want to do this. And you'll find that all these people don't, they just want this persona on Instagram. They want to have a six pack and seem fit and they want to spout and copy and paste everybody else's captions. And then you get people that say, I want to earn quick money through tattooing. I'll just quickly do a style because it's popular. And it's like, yeah, but when the styles change in a few years, are you going to be studying and reading up on the next style to, be able to do it all eventually you know what i mean or, or to keep uh, moving forward and actually commit yourself fully to this thing because more often than not the average person's like nah fuck that i'll just i'll end up doing whatever's what's cool next yeah i think like if you're self-employed you know especially in our industries man you need to have passion for it man like 100 percent, you have to care about what you do like because it will come across you know Exactly, and yourself and in your work you know and obviously a big reason is why I'm quite successful at what I do is because obviously I've been through a personal journey myself but because my work is pretty much the most important thing to me in my life and I can't I all I all I want for a client that comes into doors for them to get the goal that they've came in to ask yeah exactly I'm not in my head thinking how much money they're going to pay me? Are they going to stay for six months? Yeah, exactly. All, all I care about is: are you going to like? Are you going to put the work in to get your goals? Yeah. So you are happy with this? Yeah. You know, and that can lead to like people like falling out with me or like crying and stuff because like I'm yeah I'm hard on them. So I'm like, why didn't you do your food diet this week? Why did you not go to the gym? Yeah. If I didn't give a fuck, I just be like, all right, cool. Well, it's fine. Yeah, exactly. So it might come off like you're being a dick or like, why are you so raging today? It's like, I'm not raging. It's just that you're emotionally invested in their life. 100%. Like, man. it's not only are you a mate and a colleague or whatever, but you're also, that's why the, 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 the word PT gets thrown around so annoyingly and so easily. It's like, it's more than just fucking standing next to somebody's treadmill and chatting them up, being like, you know what, mate? I do. It's just like, you're not you, you got to like actually talk about people and what they're going through and then when you do you're going to be emotionally invested in them to which you're going to end up like caring if they're falling off the wagon or whatever and you'll you get raging because of that and to them obviously if they get upset it's like i, I get it but like, they it's care, fine they care as well or whatever. yeah no exactly but, so. but you know but ah, you know you're totally you're totally right man and um 
and you're now in Origin. Aye, I'm now at Origin. So after three years at family business, I, um, uh, I moved to Matt Stops and Nicholas Holden's studio. We were all close mates at family business. And eventually, um, those guys decided to open up their own studio and me and a couple of others decided to go with them, basically. Um, yeah, it was, it, it's, I guess it was quite a... No, it wasn't a quick move. I mean, I, when I handed them a notice, it was um, it was quite a big deal because I'd been at Family Business and we had such a um, a good thing at Family Business. But again, with everything else, it's like it's very easy to get comfortable. And after being somewhere for three years, I wanted to... Also, I was the closest with Nick and Matt and I wanted to just work alongside them and the others who's uh, who went. Um, but it was just the best option. Um, for like personally as well, just from being closer to home to um, having a bit more flexibility with my own hours and what I, um, when I tattoo and stuff and who I'm tattooing with uh, next to because that's so important. You know, it's like you can work in the, the best places, but it's if you're not comfortable or if you don't have certain like personal, I don't know, you, you want to. I, I get really invested in the people that I work with and a lot of people had left and it got to a point, you know, I was like, right, who in the next part of my life or the next part of my career in tattooing, where do I see myself and who do I sort of want to work with? Um, to be uh, blunt, I was just like, you know, these guys are my, my really, really close mates and um, what they were doing and the sort of vibe they wanted to, uh, put into the shop was exactly what I was looking for so it worked out and it, it was yeah it was a great move so but I've not been there for long the shop in general has been there from October um, and uh, yeah it's going really well we've been I've been there since uh, end of January I think it was so again literally I was there for about six weeks before quarantine something like that and even though it seems like I was there for even longer yeah we just I mean I've I've been in and that seems like ages ago but yeah exactly it can't, it can't have been yeah, exactly. It's just the vibe is perfect. Like we're all close friends, and we all just sort of do our own thing. And um, as 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 much as it is, it's a, it's a public studio. It's open to the public, and except all walk-ins and stuff. But um, it has a private sort of feel to it. It's, it's quite um, like a sort of premium feel of like um, you're offered a certain sort of um, experience that you might not in other studios in London. And it's um, yeah, it's really good. I'm just yeah. itching to get back now. <laughs> yeah, it's a sick shop, man. It looks it looks amazing. And Tony done like helped with the design yeah. and all that, didn't she? Yeah, she's she's amazing. So obviously she comes from a prop making background and um she's worked in like the film industry and a few others. Uh but yeah, she now does interiors and sort of set styling and she done the interiors and helped out with a lot of the um the original design of it, I guess. But yeah, awesome. no, it, it looks amazing. Yeah, no, it's really good. Awesome, man. You kind of touched on your um, mental health a couple of times, man. You were talking, obviously, about how it really dipped when you are doing your apprenticeship and how things went downhill at that point. And you, you touched about on earlier about how you can't get on transport in Russia and stuff like that, man. Yeah, it's... Uh... So is that weird, just like, is that just is that something that you're still struggling with at the moment? Yeah, literally to the day. It's it's difficult because it's like, um, there's so many different parts to it. I guess it started in, I mean, uh, it's like panic attacks in general are really difficult because 
I used to have them when I was really, really young. And because you, I, you're not told about any of this sort of stuff, I remember I was going to my mum being like, I feel and I'm trying to go to sleep. I keep tripping out. She was like, what are you talking about? I was like, I just feel like my mind is going to this weird. I feel like I've got this pure inner fear and I keep losing my breath and it's just really confusing. And obviously, how is she in the weather? Because it's not a yeah. thing that you talk about or even know about. Anyway, fast forward to a few years being in London, I guess. I remember being like trapped in a train. Um, well, at first, sorry, I'm going to go off on so many tangents. It's, it's just such a uh, big subject, I guess. But I'd been in so many situations where I couldn't get out of like physically where previously when I was in Glasgow and stuff, I would uh, I would get like muscle spasms where your your body physically goes into like a it's like a fight or flight mode essentially, but because you can't move, you're basically so tense that the calcium goes into your bloodstream and it basically seizes up. So the claw of the hand, which people would know like like that is a thing, like your whole body does that, so it goes in. So that happened a few times. So the fear of that happening in public was there in situations that I can't get out of. Fast forward to London. I remember we were in Brighton one time and I just had such low energy. I just had like my whole ribs tattooed at a convention and cause it was winter, you know, when you go into a train, it's boiling hot and we had on lots of layers and stuff in the, the, in the middle of the track, the train just stopped as it normally does, but it stopped for, it was like half an hour and slowly, like it's weird with panic attacks cause you're, you start losing feel of your body and you're looking at yourself from an outside perspective sort of and then they said they didn't have a driver and I was like what do you mean you don't have a driver we're on the track we're not at a platform so where did the driver go did he just jump out the window and uh, basically people started pushing alarms while everybody was like that you couldn't even move and I was like were you on your own and I was with Tony and then we got off at East Croydon it was fine because again I didn't I had the initial stages of a panic attack I like where you, when you know it's coming, you, you almost bring it on yourself because you have this way of, you know what, let me get it over with because I, I'm so tired with trying to fight it from happening. Um, and luckily we just got out of the train. But I remember we went, I went to work the following day and I went into work at Topshop and my heart just started pounding. I just started dead feeling so tense. And even though I didn't get a full-blown panic attack then, again, I felt the initial stages and I was like, I need to get home went back home and then it uh, a few days sort of passed and I was just, I basically started telling myself, don't go too far from home. And then I was like, don't go to the high street because you have to make sure you've got your safe place. And then don't go down the road and then don't leave the house and then don't go to the living room and then don't leave the bedroom. Like you keep telling yourself, you end up becoming so agoraphobic that you've told yourself that as long as, if you're home, that's safe, whether it's, you should, I've learned over time, you know, it's the opposite. It's like, if I feel it's, it's having a, a safe place, so to speak, you're basically telling yourself that that's your, you know, you have to get back there when really it's about dealing with where you are because you can't avoid leaving your house. You know, you can't avoid going to work. So it's about learning how to deal with it whilst you're in them situations. And since then, um, I basically was like, you know what, mentally, I, I was like, I want to have some sort of thing to train my mind into thinking you know when i'm out of these places how what's the worst case scenario and what would happen you know worst case scenario being you have a panic attack but the the reality is they last 20 minutes max you know nothing serious can literally happen to it if you have such shortness of breath you know you might end up fainting but that is literally it um obviously people around you like don't actually see anything physical really 
as to what you think they're seeing. And there's so many things to it, but yeah, over, I guess as of recently, it sort of cropped back up. I just became so exhausted, I feel like, with like the big move from studios and all the all the stuff um, with the... Um, with the house renovations, I went through so much like exhaustion with that. I, I just ended up telling myself, "Oh, when you get on the train, you know you're going to have a panic attack." And as soon as you tell yourself that, yeah. you're already building up this nervousness to get in. And as soon as I walked in the door, I was like, "Nope." If as soon as these train doors close, I know what's going to happen. And obviously, obviously, it did. Um, again, I managed to run off him quick enough where it didn't go into a, a full-blown panic attack. It was that initial stage of like you have to get out of this situation now or else. But then when you when you get over that and you've managed to get through, um, uh, yeah, like that journey, you then tell your brain, all right, cool, you got through that. But what I'm going to do, I'm going to make you have a panic attack on the way to work when the train's empty, and and then you get through that. And it's like, all right, cool, you managed to get over that. So now you're telling your brain. Right, wait, wait till I see what's going to happen when you get to work. I'm going to make it try and affect your work. And then again, you'll do a tattoo and you've managed to do that and you've got through it. And it's like your brain's constantly trying to sort of catch yourself out. And obviously I'm going off on a tangent, but where we are now in quarantine, it's like this constant fight of like, now I'm technically not allowed to leave a safe place being your home. It's like, so now I'm going to try and my absolute hardest to give yourself a panic attack. So you, you feel like you're, you have no way out. Even though I'm not technically confined to a space, like I can physically move and leave this if I wanted to the house, like go for a walk and all the rest yeah. of it. But it's like this constant fight you have with your mind because like mental illness will never go away. It's just almost the way you're built. It's just like finding ways to manage it. And like there's no right or wrong because everybody's so different and it's difficult to say, you know, how complex the brain is. Or oh, you do this, you'll feel the same way as me and this will fix you if it fixes me, you know, this sort of crap. But yeah, it's living with panic attacks is the worst because every time you go over a certain like little thing, like you'll end up telling yourself, right, as much as you've managed to manage that, I'm going to create another problem and I'm going to try my hardest to give you a panic attack. So now it's fighting this fear of like any sort of responsibility. So when you're even in a long conversation, you can't just run away from that conversation. You have to physically say to somebody, yeah, blah, blah, okay, I have to go, right, bye. So you're technically locked into five minutes where you can't move your body. Even though I, I, to a degree that's true, but that's what your brain's telling yourself. It's like, oh, you can't leave. So it's trying to give you this panic attack. Or if you if you go up to like a skyscraper and you physically have to get the lift back down, but you have to wait 10 minutes for that lift. So for 10 minutes, you physically have no choice or no freedom of movement like you have to wait that's when like me personally I struggle so when you get on a train for example and it's 16 minutes between two stops for 16 minutes it's like hell <laughs> the thing is though man like how many how many times I've asked especially a few years have I been doing to see you and mm. I would I would never know yeah well of course because it's, well obviously you've told me is, about it before but what I'm saying yeah. is if, if I didn't know you, you know, you're either hiding it very well or it doesn't happen when you're with other people. Well, it's the hiding it very well, isn't it? It's like, I guess um, you have more, you just build it so much uh, tolerance and experience that sometimes you're brilliant. Sometimes um, 
you can cope with it really well. But then sometimes mentally you're just so drained where what your body just gets to a point where it's like, fuck this. Maybe if I just have a panic attack now and get it over with, I'll be fine. But that isn't the case. You're just going to, you know what I mean? Like you're just going to beat yourself up and put yourself into a dark place because you're going to keep, not necessarily having them, but it's, it's always going to be in your mind. Bring your thing up a bit, Math. Lost your voice a bit there. Speak. Can you hear me now? Yeah, it's a bit better now. <clears throat> That's but it. yeah, no, it's, That's it's, it. a, it's a strange thing to live so with, this, I guess. But. So this is like a total daily struggle? Yeah, well, I, I guess it's more more daily at the moment because of quarantine, you know? It's yeah. like this situation of like, I just want to get out and leave the area and go to places like work and restaurants and stuff to show my brain. Well, that wasn't true, was it? Because look what I've just done, you know? Yeah. I've just went, done a tattoo, went out and then made it back home fine without having one so it's about trying to prove your negative thoughts wrong but as obviously right now we can't because we can't yeah. do any of that stuff so it's like me telling myself oh wait till this lockdown ends wait to see what's going to happen and it's like yeah it's annoying yeah have you spoke to so, professional about it or like medication no well, I, nah, I, I mean me personally I, I don't agree with medication for me obviously other people it, it works perfectly fine and it's you know it's all personal choice but for me it's like because again from i don't feel that that's solving anything for myself like okay. the doctor said originally it was like when i years ago and i spoke he's like i'll describe you some diazepam just so if you're ever in a situation where you personally feel so trapped you you would have it on you to sort of get yourself home and fine and it would take that so i started doing that so i've never taken it out in a any sort of place at all um, but just I guess no one I've got it on me sort of th- says like listen once you do it, tell yourself like all your mantra and like all all the like sort of mechanisms you have in place to defend it if all if that didn't work literally it got to a point where you're just so mentally drained and you have one I can still get home because I'll have that on me and that does work like have for me that I guess feeling that I've got that option is always there sort of thing but to go on uh, a prescription or anything like that I don't know I feel it suppresses what's eventually or what's always going to be there yeah and with medication obviously you become tolerant of that and then it goes up and up and up and but again I don't really have any experience of that so I can't really say but yeah I've spoke to I've done CBT training a little bit and I spoke to some people of uh, 2013 and again it's just good to talk but these things, they don't come from one situation or whatever. It's just the way you've programmed your brain throughout your whole life. It's I'm an overthinker. I'm an overworrier. Like I can't be like absent-minded and just sort of like watch a movie sort of thing. As I'm watching that movie, I'm like thinking of a million things, and you sort of go brain dizzy, and you just sort of end up confusing yourself. That you almost when you be, at the beginning of a panic attack, it's like you trip your brain up so you've got all these thoughts like one thought followed by the second but followed by the third but it'll be like fifth thought first second tenth eleventh but and it mixes them all up and it, it's almost like physically you see us like like beehive of just craziness and then you just end up sort of falling over that and then you just have this big inhale of like when you fall over in a dream and you wake up that inhale that you have you have that but you're not sleeping 
So it's like you've, you get this shock and then it can either go two ways. You sort of walk it off, sort of shake it off and just take deep breaths. As long as you're doing that again, you wouldn't faint or anything because you're getting the right amount of oxygen and stuff. So you just have to always be mentally prepared, but it's fucking exhausting. Yeah, man. Yeah, I've been, uh, I've been in the presence of a panic attack, man, and it's scary, man. It's fucking scary, like... Yeah. Because there's nothing you can do as a person there. It's just like... You can no, there's nothing. You can, you can only be there and be like, oh, yeah. you're okay, like, are you okay? Yeah. Like, rub their back or whatever, but it's like, fuck, it's not, it's no joke, man. I guess, I guess for people witnessing it, for me, when you're on public transport, you almost wish that if there was uh, something happening on that train, something major, not like like anything that would (laughs) cause any harm, but you want something to go so mad, right? Uh, Where the attention's not on you. And that, just that, just that thought takes away the panic. So I guess from an outsider, like, or you're with somebody, if somebody you know is having one, it's almost just like, that does help them knowing you're having one because I don't know what it is like you just want everybody on the train to be aware of it even though physically you can't walk around everybody on the train being like, just in case I have a panic attack I just want to let you know that it's nothing crazy yeah. but um, I, I remember being on like a, a, a for my 21st my mum booked us like a little plane over the Grand Canyon at first because I'd never had a panic attack uh, without smoking weed up to that point I was 21 um, well I had a few when I was really young but they came like seriously. I've been I smoked weed a couple of times when I was like seventeen and stuff. Anyway, I was I, I was like, eh, it should be fine. Me and my dad went on it, and he's old school, and he's sort of didn't really think too much about like what it was. But I remember just being like going up in the plane and looking out this window. It was like a tiny little ten seater or whatever, massive windows, no aircon, no water, or nothing in the desert. And the guy was like, we're going to be up here for an hour and 45 minutes. I was like, fuck off. <laughs> so I just knew physically I wouldn't have enough energy to get myself through an hour and 45 minutes that I basically told my brain, fuck it, just take the panic attack. And I remember writing in my iPhone notes, I was just like, dad, don't worry, I'm just having a panic attack. And I literally just seized up put my head in his lap and was just like shaking and obviously he was just like what the fuck is going on here but he was lovely he actually was just like you know what like even he was like the fact that you were panicking I had something to channel my my bloody scared thoughts and into like because he was also like this is horrible this plane but the fact that I was panicking he mentally had something to focus on and that's almost the way with panic attacks it's like when you're on the train, you almost wish somebody else was having a panic attack so you could stand up and be like, channel your panic into something so you don't seem like the only one having it. So, yeah, that's, but so since that, I was like, oh my God, how am I going to fly again? So, yeah, it's just so many worries. But yeah. the one but thing yeah. that I tell myself is no matter what happens, it's best to have a panic attack outside than take it home because... And even if you have one at home, it does it just force yourself out the following day or whatever because the worst thing that can happen is that panic attack. But that literally, scientifically, will only last so long. And it's and I don't know for me personally, going to, like just rushing back home every time, like will only make you become more agoraphobic and make you not leave the house at all. And eventually, you have to like, and yeah. you just realise that you know all the stuff outside. Like, I still struggle with trains, like I say, so it won't never go away. It's just managing it and working out what's best to do. So if I see a busy train, don't get on it. I just wait for the next one. I don't care, I'll get home later. And like we said at the beginning of the conversation, 
if rush hour, nope, it's it's not worth it's not worth the mental energy. Um, like all those little bits, I just learned to manage and don't get myself into any locked sort of space that I can't get out of. But that doesn't mean don't go to work, don't yeah. meet friends, don't go out for dinner, and don't have long conversations because you know what, like just get you're not going to have a panic attack with those. You're just telling yourself, but physically you're filling your headspace with friends, conversations, stuff that actually does take your mind off it. Man, thanks a lot for like going into going into depth there about what you go through with that, man, because obviously people listening could could get, you know, people maybe don't understand it as much, could potentially yeah. get, get a lot from that. And obviously it can't be that easy to talk about, so appreciate that, man. I think we've pretty much fucking covered most things, man. Yeah. It's been a, almost, <laughs> almost a couple of hours, man. It's been a... I love it. We've got to do another a, one, man. Yeah, man. It's been a mad fucking uh, year for you. With, like moving to the new house, renovating it, moving jobs. Yeah. Well, uh, you've, you've seen it all from the beginning, man. And obviously I, everything. That, it's been crazy watching you bloody progress to where you are. It's insane. Proud moments for both of us. Well, you know, man, it's... Uh, it's it's been a it's been one heck of a ride so far. <laughs> <laughs> man, as I said at start, we have we have been through a hell of a hell of a lot with each other, uh, and you know, let's see what happens in the next. It's the best thing, man. Three, having four, each other five the years. Best. You know what's crazy is like we were talking about it earlier. Is that you know, you live in London, I'm here. Mackie's here. Mackie's here. So it must be hard for you because you know me and him are hanging out a lot, and you can't be there. It's hard for us because we want to see you and you're down there. We want to see River and he's down there. Yeah, of course. We want to see Tony and she's down there. Uh, but this lockdown has brought us all together because we have literally hung yeah. out every single day on Call of Duty for Man, like three hours at a time. <laughs> and it'll, it'll continue. We go again. Oh, for sure, man. For sure. It's uh, And then obviously we've... Uh, We've done this today, and obviously it's good for me because it gives me an epic podcast to give people to listen <laughs> to. But it must be quite good for you because for you to sit there and talk through your basically life, essentially, I think <laughs> I, I find that that is good for people. It's good for me. Yeah, no, it. I think honestly, talking about anything, whether it be mental illness or even your uh, what you've got, uh, I don't know, your critical path or your plans for the future and all your goals and stuff, just voicing it makes it become more real. Or just uh, boom, not but more real. It just makes it more clear in your head that you know what, like it's it's good to have goals and it's okay to talk about mental health and it's 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 a normal thing. And the amount of people that are going through it, it's like when I'm sat in a rush hour train and there's over a thousand people. I guarantee you, more than half are probably sitting there, probably thinking the exact same thing as me. And yeah. for me. The comforting thing, or the thing you want to think, is that everybody there's someone else going through the same thing that you can go through it together. And the thing is, it actually is the case, you know. Yeah. Just because sure. you're not talking to them or going through it, but if you ever have an issue and you actually feel, you know what, I want to tell the stranger next to me if I have a panic attack, don't worry or don't not like don't think anything. Else. So and they'll probably just put, yeah, don't don't be bloody daft. Like if somebody said that to me, I'd be like, as supportive as they probably will be, you know, like it's. Yeah, right. it's but people tell themselves it's not normal and like you're the only one going through it, but it's not the case. But talking about it with close people and what you want to do for a career and all the far-fetched goals or what seems far-fetched, they, they won't be if you just work hard. 
Man, honestly, it's so inspiring, or it should be so inspiring for people to hear um, the fact that you, the journey you've been through to get to where you are today, man. It, really, it truly is amazing. I'm so proud of you, mate. No, I'm proud of you, man. What's your Instagram for those listeners who ain't <laughs> looked at your tattoos? Just, it is just Jonathan with an A, McKenzie, MCK, um, tattoo. So Jonathan McKenzie tattoo is my Instagram handle. Check out those fine lines, bro. <laughs> well, I hope this. Well, I'll be talking to you very soon tonight on the old PS4, my man. But yes. I love you loads, and hopefully, for hopefully this is all recorded. <laughs> <laughs> this is the if first. Not, this is the first ever Zoom one, so I pray to God that it's worked okay, man, because it's been literally about two hours. Right. Well, I'll let you press the leave meeting because if I press a button and it cancels something, I won't be able to live.